Hello and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Works, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works editor in chief, and I'm joined today by Renee Vangusti, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China watcher and former investment banker. Today we'll take a look at a controversial China-backed plant being built to make EV batteries for Ford in the U.S. We'll also look at one of China's leading pet specialists that's delisting from the New York Stock Exchange after a rough three years, so to speak. We'll start with Ford, which has halted construction of an EV battery plant it was having constructed to power its electric vehicles of the future. The plant was being built by Contemporary Amperex, also known as Cattle, for the U.S. auto giant. But now Ford's asked for construction on the project to be halted while it tries to determine its economic viability. The same plant's also being investigated by the U.S. House of Representatives, which is threatening consequences if Ford doesn't supply the information it's requesting. So, Renee, uh, can you please explain why this particular project is attracting so much attention and has become so controversial? Well, um, you know, I think that uh, this project uh, kind of uh, has hit on just about every issue uh, that exists currently um, in the relationship between China and the U.S., at least from a political standpoint, but also economic uh, economic sec- uh, standpoint. Hmm. So, um, you know, to start with, um, there's been concern um, on the part of certain members of Congress about the links between Qatar and the Chinese Communist Party. There have been, then it moves on to allegations of forced labor, uh, because at some point in time, Qatar had a subsidiary, an operating subsidiary uh, in Xinjiang, which they claimed they sold, but the counterclaim on the U.S. side is that they're still somewhat directly uh, or partially at least uh, owning it through a, an investment in a vehicle that bought it from cattle. Hmm. Um, then, then you move on to uh, supply chain issues and, and uh, dependence on China in terms of uh, green energy, technology in general, and so on. And then, uh, then the, the, the fourth one is basically uh, the fact that according to the agreement signed, there would be hundreds of uh, Chinese workers that uh, would actually come at work at the factory in the United States, supposedly to install and then subsequently to uh, maintain the equipment that is necessary to produce those batteries. So, um, you know, how many more issues <laughs> do you want to uh, flag until obviously somebody in Congress feels like this is a problem, mm. right? So um, that's, that's I think, that's pretty much what it is. Um, and, you know, it, it's very interesting because uh, politically speaking also, there has been a growing, um, you know, pushback against uh, Chinese companies in general, buying land in the U.S., um, setting up businesses in the U.S., um, you know, moving uh, workers in in the U.S. with the concerns about spying and so on. Uh, But also, you know, 
it is also happening in Europe these days. And I was quite surprised actually to read a few days ago about the fact that the, the Belgian government is uh, launching an investigation into uh, Alibaba, or at oh, least right. its uh, logistics company, Chanyao, mm. um, on, uh, with respect to the use of data that uh, massive amounts of data obviously that they collect through their you know super logistic hub um, in uh, in that um, Belgian city of Liège. Mm. Uh, so you've got you know you've got these concerns now growing pretty well everywhere uh, in the Western world. Mm. Now the you know the only the other issue is like. You know, you look at this and, and you look at it from the standpoint of, the of, you know, a lot of uh, people in the U.S. and they're like, why can't this country build batteries, number one? Number two, why does it have to be a Chinese company and why could it not be a Korean company, which are also, uh, some of uh, the Korean companies are also, uh, you know, uh, pretty relevant in uh, in the battery sector. Mm -hmm. So you know this, uh, and then at the same time, we've all seen this push by uh, the U.S. administration, uh, President Biden in particular, to create a green economy and green manufacturing in the U.S. Uh, without uh, the need to depend on any other country especially non-friendly non country, mm. um, to do so. Uh, and right in the middle of that walks in Ford, waving this, you know, uh, deal with uh, cattle. So I don't know what they were thinking, <laughs> uh, but obviously I don't think they were thinking straight. Well, with that, so, I mean, could you look into your crystal ball and, and you know, one sort of say what this how how this particular case might end up and then you know more broadly is this going to put a chill on chinese investment in the u.s ev sector because you know they certainly have a lot of relevant technology um or is this just a one-off thing well uh, you know it, it, it's interesting this could very well be a case of um you know where uh Politicians, I think, because that's pretty much who we're talking about here, uh, make their point uh, and then kind of agree to grandfather this one uh, on the basis that, you know, we need it right now. We're, the country is not ready to do it on its own immediately. So we're going to accept this one. We're just going to put, uh, you know, fences around it and so on. For, different nature to protect uh us protect us workers protect this protect that uh and then life goes on and everybody is on notice that going forward this kind of deal will never be approved again hmm. um who knows you know um, overall overall ev technology though i mean i would tend to disagree that uh you know the country uh, the U.S. has to, um, you know, depend on China for that. I mean, after all, this was all started by Tesla, mm. which last time I checked is a, <laughs> a U.S. company and thriving these days. Granted, they have a gigafactory in China, but I mean, they're doing pretty well on their own in the U.S. as well. They're also uh, considered, I think, generally speaking, as 
having pretty good technology, especially software and so on, which they tout as a competitive advantage. So, you know, maybe obviously batteries are an issue and even Tesla, I think, has been using cattle batteries, but also I think some of the Korean manufacturer batteries, uh, because clearly nobody builds them at scale in the U.S. today. But for the rest of the technology, I think that the U.S., you know, true Tesla, uh, here's what it takes. Now, part of the issue with all of that on a political standpoint is that because of Elon Musk, sometimes the U.S. administration looks like and acts like they don't like Tesla and they don't care about Tesla. But the technology is there. Right, right, right. All right. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and, wait and see what happens on this one. Um, let's, let's move on next. We're going to look at the rough ride that I mentioned before for uh, this company called Bochi, which uh, operates one of China's largest communities for pet owners. Uh, things looked much better for Bochi when it went public on the New York Stock Exchange in 2020. And at one point, the company was worth over a billion dollars. But things have been all south from there. And the company announced it'll leave the NYSE and relist on the smaller, thinly traded NYSE American after its market value shriveled to just $15 million. You and I both know that China's pet market is huge, with dogs and cats often seeming to act as a sort of surrogate for people who don't want children or see pets as a trusted, uncomplaining companion. But Bochi could never really seize on that market, which is also very fragmented. Um, you know, any thoughts on why this company failed to reach that sort of potential? Well, look, you're asking the wrong guy. I don't have a dog. I don't have a cat. Uh, but you come to I'm China, not, like, you know how popular they are here. And, and you certainly you must be yeah, all I know, I know. pet stores and pet shops and everything. I know. Yeah, I know. And it's the same thing in Hong Kong, by the way. And, you know, I keep seeing people walking around with two huge dogs that are kind of the size of half cows, <laughs> uh, and they live and they live with them in tiny apartments. So obviously, I'm very well aware of that. Same thing in China. Same thing in the U.S. Actually, to a large extent. I mean, look, let's not forget that years and years ago, when companies like Petco and so on in the U.S. Uh, were created, um, and I think Petco has been around for almost 20 years. Um, the um, you know there was a lot of talk about them as well and how uh, they were going to fly and do extremely well and so on. Look, I mean Petco ended up doing an IPO in January of 2021. Um, I mean right you know in the middle of uh, COVID, um, that stock has gone from 27 and a half back then to three and a half today. <laughs> Wow. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't know anything about Bochi in particular. Uh, it is, uh, I've heard all along that it is a very fragmented market. You know, it over the years, I've worked with a lot of companies in China uh, in quite a number of uh, sectors that were kind of like part of the overall consumer sector and so on and where uh, you know, the promise was always that 
they were operating in a highly fragmented market and they were going to make sense of it and they were going to consolidate this fragmented market and end up with a you know super market share and create enormous value and so on and uh, and in in many sectors that hasn't really happened and uh, you know 15 10 15 years later some of the companies are still struggling to consolidate some of those sectors if you think about you know, for instance, car repairs or um, uh, used car sales and so on. I mean, you know, companies like Yushin and Guanji and so on have been around for 15 years, if not longer, trying to consolidate those markets. And uh, yeah, they're making progress. But, you know, you also look at the stock price of those that are, uh, you know, publicly traded and they've done horribly as well. Mm. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a reflection on, on how the Chinese consumer in general looks at uh, availing themselves to those kinds of services, uh, you know, going to their, uh, you know, local friendly neighborhood little shop as opposed to wanting to go to, I don't know, a chain or a bigger place that is more anonymous. I don't know. Mm. Well, so, I mean, I guess, uh, do you think this case, I mean, sort of on this whole topic of consolidation, I mean, does this case hold out any bigger lessons for Chinese companies, you know, in the U.S. and, and people who are trying to figure out which ones, you know, look like good investments? Uh, you know, again, the, the consolidation story seems to be a very frequent one that we see for, you know, for China companies because the market's so young and, and fragmented. Well, you know, lesson for Chinese companies, yes. How about lessons for global bankers? Uh, because, I mean, look, at the end of the day, those are the guys who go knocking on the doors of companies and promise them the world, take them to IPO in the U.S., uh, and then you wake up a few years later, and uh, it's not just that nobody is satisfied, but, you know, value has been destroyed. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lesson for companies. There's a lesson, more importantly, I think, for bankers. And there's a lesson for investors. Uh, what, you know, what's the lesson for each and every one of them? You know, if you're a company... And you're, you know, you're a company like Bochi, for instance, or any other com company uh, in you know, that typical size or type of business or whatever. Um, especially today, uh, it's going to be fairly difficult for you to go IPO in China, in the Chinese market, at a time when very clearly uh, the uh, Chinese government wants uh, to use the domestic market to fund um, the, uh, uh, the sectors that the government has deemed priorities and, and uh, strategic uh, national interest. And, uh, and mm. therefore, it's unlikely you, if you're not in those sectors, you're going to have to go look somewhere else. Um, and it doesn't really matter if it's Hong Kong or uh, or the U.S. or sometimes even people are talking about London, which is even more puzzling to me. But hmm. you know, um, that's that's where you're going to have to go. 
Uh, Hong Kong is, you know, I'm afraid I have to say, is a pretty bad market. You have very little liquidity. Unless you're Alibaba, Tencent, JD.com, and so on. Right. To the point where the government has actually finally uh, started to admit to it and put in place um, a working group to try and come up with solutions. But that's going to be some time down the road. So then that leaves you with the U.S. And, you know, if if you're a Chinese entrepreneur, especially if you go back three, four, five years, ten years, uh, and you're convinced you've got a good business, you've got a a, a good uh, business model, good uh, promising sector and so on, you just need money to be able to grow, um, then what are you going to do? You can sit tight and say, I don't want to do it, or you're going to go, let's say, to the U.S. market. Mm What else are you going to do, right? right? You have to do something. So, I mean, from an investor standpoint, you know, especially today looking back, uh, you know, you you have to be very careful about sectors and fads and whatever bankers are telling you at the end of the day and how they're pushing, you know, stories and so on. Mm. You know, every, you know, um, it's uh, bankers are by definition, in my opinion, fairly lazy people. They <laughs> think they're brilliant, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, they'll push anything that they, that comes their way if they can make money. And then, you know, you always have like a comparison with the U.S. in the case of U.S. IPOs. You know, Dunkin is the Starbucks of China, sorry, uh, Luckin is the Starbucks of China. This company is the whatever of China, and on and on and on. And uh, I don't know how they position Bochi, but probably like, I don't know, the Petco of China or whatever. <laughs> um, the, uh, the reality uh, from an economic standpoint today, when it comes to China, is number one, the economy has slowed down and uh, it is struggling to bounce back and it may not bounce back potentially anytime soon. Um, There are uh, sectors that get a lot more attention uh, from the government, a lot more support and so on, and will be protected and helped and will do well. And then, you know, there are other sectors that are kind of like secondary or tertiary. And, uh, you know, uh, economy is not very good. I mean, our Chinese people, you know, being as much into pets these days as they used to be when it seemed that, you know, money was easy. You know, some of some people have lost their jobs. Some people have had salary cuts in many sectors in China. The uh, sentiment is way down. Um, and I think that that has inevitably to affect uh, some of those, you know, consumer businesses. Right. And if you're an investor, you know, in the U.S. or globally, you know, you need to, you need to understand that. You need to focus on that. Long gone are the days where, you know, people could believe that everything that had a China label to it was going to create enormous wealth. The last three years have shown that uh, that is not the case, at least anymore. Okay. At least for a while. Right. So I guess the moral is uh, pick your China China plays carefully and try and try and focus on uh, government areas the government wants to uh, support. 
Yeah, but you know, I mean, I think that overall it's not that different from the US either. I mean, if you're an investor, we've all seen that money flew to, you know, AI stocks mm. uh, and went out of a lot of other stuff. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, you have, you have to be careful about it. Everybody who went into AI stocks towards the end of it has lost money by now. Yeah. So, you know, it's the same thing everywhere. You know, think twice, do your research and figure out what sectors you think, uh, you know, uh, worth investing in and what companies in particular right. for the long term. Back to Bocci, specifically last comment is, you know, reading uh, what you wrote about uh, about it, it's a question that comes to mind is that was it a lack of execution uh, that uh, caused them to not be able to really make any dent into the uh, opportunity of consolidating the sector? Um, the story was there, the opportunity was there. Was it executed well or not? Right. I don't know. Right. I mean, that's always the big issue. I mean, uh... Give somebody the best opportunity in the world, but if they can't execute, then you're stuck. So I guess uh, know your management team and, you know, see what their track record is. Okay, right. let's wrap things up there. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening this week. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and, and rate us and share us on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to join us again next week for another edition of China Inc., when we'll look once more at the latest trending Chinese business topics. Hope to see you all then. Goodbye for now. Thank you all. Goodbye.